This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield, and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements, and the stories that have been forgotten. Some of the quirkier news stories that were making headlines back in 1973. I've got a story for you about originality, okay? <laughs> this is a story about how the AMC building got its name back in 1973. I apologise for my ignorance here. Should I know what the AMC building is? No, not necessarily. <laughs> I didn't. It's short for the Army Material Command building. Right. Okay. Located where, Rob? It's located... That is a great question. It's over in the US somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, they held a contest to name their new national headquarters right. back in 1973. So this is to boost morale, apparently. Right. If, that, if that's going to boost morale, then wow. <laughs> if that's all it takes. I do not care a jot what our building is called. If the bosses yeah. have got any ideas, I do not care. So 524 names were suggested, and the AMC's official contest committee, <laughs> yes, they had an official contest committee, to name the new building, solemnly studied the offerings. At long last, Major General Charles T. Horner, the AMC Chief of Staff, announced with pride <laughs> the new name of the AMC building is, drumroll, the AMC building. Wow. The lucky winner, Francis Sikorsky, received $100 for his shrewd suggestion to name the, the AMC building, the incredibly, AMC building. the AMC building. Wow. Thanks. Those guys just, they don't like change. No, they don't. They absolutely are sticklers. They're conservatives yeah. is what they are, Rob. They're rooted in history and tradition. Yeah. And I, I think that Francis picked up that. on that. He knew it and fair play to him. Yeah. Walked away with $100. Uh, this was a great little story. Now, this is amazing. January 1973. The headline reads, Warning Required Before Crime. Okay. Texas State Rep Jim Castor filed a bill that would have required criminals to give their victims 24 hours notice before they committed a crime. <laughs> Argued Castor. Obviously, the criminal is not going to do it, but this would be another punishment that could be added to the penalty. No surprise, wow. the bill was defeated. And there was a great headline in a local paper from January 1973, which read, Dear victim, I plan to rob you, crook. <laughs> <laughs> so the measure would make it a crime to commit a crime against the person or property of another without first having notified the victim of their intent to commit the crime and also of the victim's rights. So okay, That would be the equivalent of posting a letter through the letterbox yeah. to say, I am coming back here tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> to, <laughs> to case this joint, <laughs> to rob yeah. your house. Uh, now, the notice could either be oral or in writing. It would have to state the nature of the crime and the time and place it was going to be committed. <laughs> that is mental. Uh, now, Castor admits the idea was not even his. It was originally advocated by Wick Fowler of Great Austin, name. a newspaper man who was apparently uh, renowned in, in the local kind of media industry. He was also known as the Chili King of Texas. <laughs> As you do, Wick Fowler. Great name. Yeah, not bad, eh? So um, that was defeated. That was defeated as well. I mean, we're yeah. not poking fun, of course. Crimes are no good at the best of times, but the no. notion that criminals... Plus, if it's a crime of passion, I mean, you don't have time to, well, to provide that. 24 hours of notice. Correct. You just... Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I haven't committed a crime of passion, Rob. No. no. I am but aware I of them. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, anyway, the bill never got passed, funnily enough. Now, how about this for a story? Richard Nixon's favourite snack was reportedly cottage cheese topped with ketchup. Okay. Now, a very non-controversial piece of personal information, you might think. You know, you get these little tidbits, don't you? Various things that presidents... Did you know? Yeah, that sort of thing. And a little... Yeah. Um, Now, apparently this unusual delicacy was acquired from his grandmother, who was a Quaker. But it was being downplayed come the 1970s. Um, He probably had bigger things on his mind, what with Watergate and all that. But uh, Helen Smith, the First Lady's press secretary, dismissed it as an overblown rumour. Now, regardless, the combination of cottage cheese and ketchup was associated with Nixon in the public mind. And it actually inspired an odd work of art. So in 1973, on the eve of his second inauguration, the sculptor Carl Andre dumped 500 pounds of cottage cheese on the floor (laughs) of the Max Protech Gallery in Washington, topped it with 10 gallons of ketchup, and he called the work American Decay. Very good. Very good indeed. Apparently it smelt so bad that it all had to be removed within hours of being deposited. Big fan of ketchup, as you well know, Rob. <laughs> mm, I'm partial to some cottage cheese. Yeah. Not together. As a combo? As a combo, absolutely Hey, listen, not. I've not tried it. So, um, you know, yeah, until then... your thought. It would be quite an assault on the senses. And we go to the films. It was a debut for Roger Moore. He came, he became, I should say, the second man to play James Bond after Sean Connery simply refused to return. Although I think he was brought back in an unofficial capacity. Was he? Never say never again, was oh, yeah, it? he did come back. Yeah, you're um, right, sorry. But uh, initially, Roger Moore was actually hesitant to fill Connery's shoes, as you would be. Oh, absolutely. I mean, talk about making the role your own, right? Yeah. Uh, but eventually, he was persuaded to take it on, and the film in question was Live and Let Die. Roger Moore is James Bond, 007, in Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die. My name's Bob. James Bond. Names is for tombstones, baby. Waste him now. This is the Bond adventure with more excitement, more action, more danger, and more. Much more. Roger Moore as James Bond. <laughs> Much oh, more. Wow. Much more. Roger Moore. Oh, oh, my, my who was the scriptwriter for that? Promo. More action. Much more. more Roger drama. Moore. I'm in that at all. Oh, God. And Roger, I tell you what, fair play to him. Stepping in the shoes of Sean Connery just sounds... Mm. You, know, I'm, you know me, I'm kind of against the English when it comes to the sporting realm and replacing the dulcet tones of Sean Connery yeah. with the uh, the tones of Roger Moore, not for me. Well, he was a very suave individual, Roger. Listen, he wasn't He wasn't the worst. Put it like that. I think mm. we can all agree. He on. brought his own je ne sais quoi to the role. He yeah, had the raised eyebrow, the didn't he? What would he be, fourth best? Uh, I would say third. I would After say it's Connery, Connery, Craig, Moore would be my... Mm. And listen, honestly, Craig, as good as he was in Casino Royale, I didn't enjoy the last three or four. That wasn't nothing to do with him, though. I know, but, you know, his, his shtick got a bit old <laughs> for me. So, you know, there's something quite charming about the fun that Roger Moore had with playing James Bond. But the little stat I've got for you on this particular film, the crew discovered a crocodile farm owned by a guy called Ross Kananga. This was while filming in Jamaica. And the entrance was a sign saying, trespasses will be eaten. Okay. 
They loved it so much. The farm was put into the script and the screenwriter, Tom uh, Mankiewicz, uh, renamed the film's villain after Kananga. Oh, that is awesome. Now, while filming was taking place on the farm, Ross Kananga suggested the stunt of Bond jumping on the crocodiles. Do you remember? To get away from the... He was stranded in the middle and they were going to feed him to the crocodiles and he ran along a line of crocs do you remember yeah now um they did this in about five takes it's actually up on youtube and kananga was the man doing it he was the stunt man the guy who owned the farm he ran on real crocs yeah he ran on real crocs you can look at it on youtube there's about five takes of him one of them he falls into the water and he's surrounded by them but then kind of paddles to the side i mean he's clearly a complete lunatic um not sure what he was paid to do that stunt but it would take an awful lot of money to convince me. And I think the animal rights these days. Oh, right? yeah. Can't no. be running on the heads of crocodiles. <laughs> I mean, they are quite sturdy individuals, but, but I take your point. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, um, Roger Moore was not persuaded to do that in his first outing as 007. The film I was looking for, by the way, which saw the first collaboration between Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese was this one. These are honourable men. Charlie, Tony, Michael... Giovanni, four honorable men, and Johnny. Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with me, my friend. I'm feeling fine. Keep your mouth shut. We're not going to pay. They will pay their debt tonight in Mean Streets. Oh, my Lord. Those trailers do not sell the film all these years later, do they? But the films are so good. The trailers were so... The trailers were unbelievably bad and the films were great. Mean Streets, Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese. It was their first collaboration. It obviously led to other crime genre classics like Taxi Driver, Casino, Goodfellas, etc. And it brought Scorsese's incredible admiration for rock music to the fore as well. He basically said he wanted the whole movie to be Jumping Jack Flash and Be My Baby. And um, it was a kind of combination of the Renettes, Eric Clapton, the Rolling Stones... And it, in fact, ate up, clearing those songs for the film, ate up almost half of its half a million dollar budget. So he spent half of the budget on just making sure some songs were in the movie. You asked me earlier if I'd seen Mean Streets. I thought you were talking about the football hooliganism one, not this particular one. So, no, I haven't seen it. No, 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 no. Nor have I, actually. I'm actually keen keen to watch it. Um, The scariest film of all time, Chris? Would would this be up there? tried to find a clip from the film but uh, that was pretty difficult without I mean that that theme tune alone tells you all you need to know Mm. oh my lord yeah even all these years later I mean I watched it far too young and watching that movie yeah sent my head spinning a little bit when it was first brought out into the cinema it was given an R rating which meant that adults could bring their children to go and watch it and they had to reimagine that or kind of rethink that after children. quite a few of the children were completely traumatised watching We're going it. to the cinema? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was also the first horror film, The Exorcist, to be nominated for a Best Picture at the Oscar. Horror genre has not done well at the Academy. And, Alfred uh, Hitchcock, did he not with crows or birds? 
Apparently not. No, this was this was the first one. Um, there was just a bias against horror films. It was not a genre that uh, was particularly well respected, and The Exorcist kind of bucked that trend. It got ten Oscar nominations, including a Best Supporting Actress nod for Linda Blair, who played yeah. uh, the girl who was 15 years old at the time. But actually, what had happened was there was a very famous voice actor called Mercedes McCambridge who'd contributed a lot to the role because she'd done the VO for some of the more memorable kind of demonic moments oh in the my film Lord. so that became a little bit controversial but uh, but yeah uh, for me oh. still right up there oh it is as I've not watched a it truly a disturbing time. film yeah really stays with you what about Enter the Dragon oh I remember it very well Bruce Lee now we're talking how about this what do you know about Han he lives like a king on that island this is Enter the Dragon the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio John Saxon is Roper. He was in it for the money. U.S. karate champion Jim Kelly as Williams. He was there because he had no choice. Black Belt Hall of Fame undisputed martial arts champion and international film star Bruce Lee. His job was to get them out alive. That was a heck of an intro to Bruce. There was like Michael Buffer there, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. In the red corner. <laughs> I mean, that was an intro. I'd take up half the trailer. Yeah, it really did. Uh, apparently, the extras tried to pick fights with Lee to try to sort of test him, and he managed to teach them all a lesson. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't miss Bruce Lee. He certainly would not. You a fan of that film? Yeah, I mean, all the Bruce Lee movies, if you haven't seen them. I've got them all on VHS. I love Bruce Lee growing up. One of my favourite albums, certainly, Dark Side of the Moon. One of the most successful albums of all time. It sold 40 million copies and it was released that year. Uh, Sanjay's asked for this song, so, you know, we, we aim to please on this show. told you when to run you miss the starting gun it's a great line isn't it it's amazing it's brilliant and the whole um the whole sort of uh album dealt with these ideas of mortality and time and death and all that sort of stuff all the heavy stuff oh um <laughs> But uh, that was the only song, Time, where all four members of Pink Floyd received a writing credit. Um, it stayed on the Billboard 200 albums charts for 889 weeks. Oh, my That album. Lord. An absolute... Well, an absolute incredible uh, achievement for Pink Floyd, and it does go down as certainly their most influential um, album for sure. What about this song? This could be the ultimate road trip song and maybe the best guitar solo of all time. You know where I'm going with this, Chris? I do. Okay, so 
The last lyric is uttered at four minutes 55 and the song finishes at nine minutes <laughs> and eight seconds. <laughs> Imagine the state of the guy's fingers at the end of that solo. I'm immediately transported to Back to the Future. You may recall that Martin McFly gets carried away with a guitar solo. Yeah. And he's closed his eyes, and when he finishes up, everyone's just stopped staring at him. <laughs> and imagine that would be similar there, where you're just carried away. I am just, I'm getting in the car tonight, and I'm putting that song on for its entire nine minutes and eight second <laughs> runtime. That is absolutely brilliant. Um, Alan Collins, one of the guitarists, was inspired to write it after asking his girlfriend on a flight whether she would remember him if he left tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, there you have it. We've all asked on, that on question. That front. Now, from the ultimate road trip song to one that I imagine Chris McCarty has popped out on the loudspeaker <laughs> from time to time while on a romantic date. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst thing in the You have. Oh, God. Um, Marvin Gaye, of course. Yes, it was. The Marvin. ultimate. Cruder. Probably the ultimate cruder. Smooth. It is, yeah. Uh, when romance is in the air, this is probably the ultimate well, song that comes to mind, is it I not? I mean, I'm guilty of actually playing it, but it's a bit... Bit cliche, massively cliche. It's appeared on just in just to name a few: The Simpsons, The Sopranos, Scrubs, House, Ugly Betty, Charmed, Spin City, The King of Queens, and then movies include uh, Austin Powers, High Fidelity, Something's Got to Give, Bridget Jones, The Change Up, and The Dictator. So a wide range of films have chosen to employ Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. Now, this is another one which I'm sure has found its way <laughs> onto Chris McCarty's romance playlist. In all my days, I hope and I pray For someone just like you Make me feel the way you do Never, never gonna give you up You a fan of Barry? You know what, Rob? I'm not. And I would be honest if I said I've, I've played Never Gonna Give You Up <laughs> on a romantic date, and I haven't. Because I'm you not just, a You're a Marvin man. I'm a Marvin man, yeah. Heard yeah. it through the grapevine and all that jazz. I'm not that, a big Barry White fan. <laughs> <laughs> you like sticking to I'm the not, classics. I've not had much success with Barry. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, no, Barry is, he's an acquired taste. Yes. Um, that was released as a single in the, in the US. It reached number two on the hot R&B hip hop songs. Number seven on the Billboard Hot 100. Think, that constituted hip hop back uh, in 1973. I think this next song is rather apt as well, because the reason that I was playing Marvin Gaye is because I was a bit of a... The Eagles, of course. The Eagles are one of the biggest selling groups yeah. of all time. My mum is a massive fan. Yeah, of the mine Eagles. too. I don't mind them actually. She's actually seen uh, Connie McCarty. The mother has seen uh, has seen the Eagles, I think, four or five times. Really? She is a big fan. Wow. Yeah, she's gone to Hamden Park, Glasgow, to see them on a couple of occasions. Yeah, big fan over the years of the Eagles. Is my mum? Yeah, they sort of fused country and rock, didn't they? 
I, I mean, I love Hotel California. Hotel California I can get on board with. This one... Uh, mm. I'm uh, Eagles Greatest Hits. I can get on board with that. There's a time and a place for that. Um, that is Desperado by the Eagles. Now, for some weird reason, uh, it was kind of very popular to talk about trains in the <laughs> 1970s. You had right. Runaway Train, you had Downtown Train by Rob Stewart. Ro- Rob Stewart? Rob, Rob Stewart. Rob, that's Rob's brother. You had Journeys Don't Stop Believing, which had a midnight train, and yeah. you had another midnight train, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Can you get on board with this? What, get on board on the train? Yeah, well done, Rob. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, this one I find myself kind of throwing some shoulder moves. So yeah. Yes, get on board with this. Gladys Knight's signature song. Um, it was number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It was also number 10 on the UK singles chart. It garnered the group the 1974 Grammy Award for Best R&B Vocal Performance. It's Gladys Knight and the Pips. Touch on sport from 1973, where one man was setting all manner of records in the NFL. Neither sleet nor snow nor the New York Jets could stop O.J. Simpson and the Buffalo Bills, who ran to four records on a freezing afternoon. Three of them were Simpsons. He entered the game needing 61 yards to break Jim Brown's single-season rushing record. It took him only eight carries to do it on this play in the very first quarter. Everybody always breaks, you know, a record. I remember I left college and I thought I had a pretty good record. And a couple of years later, I think it was Macaulay he broke and I never heard of him and it was gone. You know, AD is erasing everything I did at USC. So somebody had come around. That's why I hope to stay in the uh, league long enough for, you know, until all these guys get old so no young back can get behind him and break my record. Okay. <laughs> Some of his records still stand today. They do. Uh, and, that, and that was when the NFL had a 14-game season. Correct, yeah. He rushed over 2,000 yards and uh, it's often forgotten, understood. Understandably so, given the notoriety that O.J. Simpson, whether it's a foot as an actor, obviously the, the murder trial against him as well, you actually forget what a heck of a running back yeah. O.J. Simpson was in his NFL career. And as you say, in a 14-game season, he ran 2,003 total rushing yards. We see Derek Hendry, case in point, Tennessee Titans. We see him crunch through 2,000 yards. But to do that in a 14-game season, remarkable. Big heavyweight fight in 1973, 22nd of January, George. George Foreman took on Joe Frazier in a fight known as the Sunshine Showdown in Kingston, Jamaica. Both of them were unbeaten. Frazier was 29-0, Foreman was 37-0, but the fight itself was very one-sided. It's target practice for George Foreman. It is target practice. Frazier is ready to go again. Joe is standing. There he goes. Three times. Three times. The fight is stopped. Foreman knocked Joe Frazier down, get this, six times in two rounds. This was before they they brought in any rules to protect the fighters. I mean, it was absolute carnage back then. In two rounds. I mean, he was getting up and he was just, his legs were jelly. He had no sort of spatial awareness or balance whatsoever. And Foreman was just teeing off on him. And he get, he kept getting, he was game. He kept getting back up. Fair I watched the coverage to it. But uh, not much uh, thought for the boxer's safety back then. Um, George Foreman dominating that one. And of course, he would go on to fight 
the Rumble in the Jungle yeah. the following year Rumble with Ali. Muhammad Ali in rugby. Is this the most unsatisfying sporting outcome of all time, Chris? The 1973 Five Nations Championship, the 44th edition of the famous contest, 10 matches played between the 13th of January and the 14th of April. It was contested by the usual suspects, England, France, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Each nation won their two home matches. Right. Right. Therefore, they both, all of them lost their two away matches and the championship was shared <laughs> between all five teams. No further tie break was applied to separate teams finishing level on match points. This was the only time that the Five Nations Championship <laughs> finished in a five-way tie. Yeah, unsatisfactory to say the least. That is ridiculous. I would imagine they brought in, you know, tries, count, you know, at yeah. the time of that we do see matches or, or at least a tournament level. You've got to start looking at other ways to split them because that's a farce yeah absolutely now we have brought horse racing into the time capsule before I'm going to I'm going to bring it back without apology this time around because 1973 was the year of Secretariat arguably still the greatest of them all take a listen to this commentary by the legendary Chick Anderson Secretariat is widening now he is moving like a tremendous machine Secretariat by 12 Secretariat by 14 the Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost a sixteenth of a mile away from the rest of the horses. Here comes Secretariat to the wire. An unbelievable, an amazing performance. He hits the finish 25 lengths in front. Those events just sound bonkers now. I mean, the crowd, they probably had 200,000 people there at Belmont to witness Secretariat win the Triple Crown. You can listen to the crowd. Obviously, the audio isn't great because it's oh. so long ago. You can tell how, what mayhem that must have been like to Correct. be there in person. I mean, we, we, we bang the drum about Arrogate right here at the Dubai World Cup. But to have been there, and I actually, funnily enough, watched that quite recently, the Secretariat Did race. You? It's one of those things when you're potting around on YouTube, you, you come across great sporting moments. And it is goosebumps because, is. as the commentator, Chick, says, it just keeps lengthening and lengthening. Yeah. He it was remarkable. Mile. It was remarkable. Usually, horses that bolt like that yeah. usually come back to the pack, but he just kept extending and extending. And um, many of his records, in terms of the speed at which he ran, still stand 48 years later. It was Ajax who dominated the European Cup once again, the third consecutive time that they won. They beat Juventus 1 0 in the final. Can you name the goal scorer? John Rape. Great quiz question, that. Is it? It was 1-0. Uh, yeah, John, right. So there you have it, 1973. Good year, Rob. Yeah, good solid 70s. year. I wish it was around to enjoy, enjoy them. No, me too. Off Script's Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.